Again, Mark chapter 10, verses 1 to 12. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. This is God's word. We saw last week that Jesus ultimately refuses to indulge divorce talk with the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time. But when he walks into the house privately with his disciples, he discusses is willing to indulge both divorce and remarriage. And we will do likewise this morning. What does God say is not only permissible, but also wise and honorable to Him when considering terminating a marriage? Divorce. Not whether, well, I just have peace about it. Not whether... I just think it's best for all involved. But what does the living God say about divorce through His holy Word? And I've thought about a number of ways this week I could sort of lead off on this uh, exciting topic. Uh, On the one hand, I want to esteem and honor the sanctity of marriage and offer no compromises when it comes to sticking to one's marriage vows. On the other hand, I want to do this in a way that doesn't uh, dishonor or uh, denigrate all who have endured divorce. I want to to share that I love you, and more importantly, God loves you. And where vows were broken, there is mending through the cross of Jesus Christ. I thought about going that route and elaborating on that. I thought about we could consider various scenarios and kind of work through each one by one. So for example, let's say a wife commits adultery. She's sorry though, wants to change, wants to save the marriage and reconcile with her husband. He wants divorce. So what should they do? What does the Bible say about this? Should they hold off? Does it make a difference that she was uh, frequently unfaithful for a long period of time? Thought also about doing just a basic statistics scare, right, about divorce. You just throw out lots of statistics about it, how painful it is, and how awful it is, how frequent it is, how common it is in our world today. But actually, I really can't. One of the things I discovered the last three or four weeks kind of prepping for this is um, this woman who's a Harvard-trained social scientist, Shanti Felhan. She set out in 2006 to just write your kind of standard 
article about divorce. And she went to go look for your basic statistics about divorce in the Western world. And what she found was it was very confusing with multiple layers of statistics and looking at different angles and vantage points. And what started out as a simple article turned into an eight-year project of looking and re-examining stats about divorce and resulted in her very important book this last year, The Good News About Divorce. Sounds very counterintuitive, doesn't it? It's interesting. She, she actually found that the divorce rate has actually started to decline over the last four years. We always heard otherwise. Or how about that fact you may have heard before that Christians are just as likely to divorce as non-Christians? Maybe you've heard that as well, and that's actually not true. What's partially true? Uh, George Barna, who conducted uh, these stats that led to these statistics, will actually tell you, and he wants to tell people, that he surveyed those who had, quote, uh, Christian and non-Christian belief systems. If you look a little deeper, if you look at a person who regularly attended their local church, divorce rate drops actually 27, between 27 and 40% for those Christians who attend regularly their local church. Truth is, being part of a church matters. So there's all these different ways we could go, and actually I have, in fact, started to go those routes. But the route I want to go in in earnest is to begin with the end in mind, which is I'm going to give you my take. There's a number you've asked me about. What's, my, what's going to be your take? I'm going to give you my take on divorce and remarriage right away. And then... Drawing from Mark 10, going to backtrack and how Jesus calls Christians to a radical difference in our approach to a suffering marriage. All right, so first, just right up front, my take. Divorce and remarriage, friends, is explicitly permitted in some cases. All right, so we're going to start there. Divorce and remarriage is explicitly permitted in some cases. Two examples we can give you right away in Scripture where divorce was explicitly permitted, and that is, number one, the famous Christmas story. Joseph, his wife, gets pregnant with, you know, a child that's not his. And Joseph, at the time, not understanding the implications of what's going on here, he is commended as a righteous man for divorcing Mary quietly. Not only, not only Joseph, who's committed as a righteous man, but Yahweh himself. There are a few places in the Old Testament where he is actually said to, he says, I'm going to divorce Israel, God's people. So for instance, Jeremiah 3.8, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Again and again, God's people had committed themselves, had entered into a bond, an intimate bond with idols not God, with gods not Yahweh. The God who created them, who loved them, who entered into this love relationship with them, who called Himself their husband. And again and again, they cheat on Him. So, we see where divorce was explicitly permitted. Now, there are three cases, three specific cases 
in which divorce and remarriage seems to be explicitly permitted in Scripture. They are sexual infidelity, desertion, and being the victim of a wrongful divorce. We'll talk about each. Sexual infidelity, we see in the Gospels. Jesus himself brings this up. Matthew's account of the same incident that we get here in Mark, Jesus says this, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Alright, so, if you get divorced, and marry another, remarry, you are committing adultery against your first wife because that bond, that spiritual bond that is forged through physical sexual relations, the special gift God has given us, then you are committing adultery against her except in cases of sexual infidelity or immorality. That word porneia, immorality there, Jesus is using the broadest possible terms for sexual infidelity which includes, but it's not limited to, adultery. Now, a lot of people ask, well, why does Matthew say this, but not Mark? Why doesn't Mark just throw in that verse? Now, there are a number of reasons for this. I don't have time to get into all. The quickest is this. We've covered it before, that Mark is the action gospel of the four gospels, right? We've seen this again. Mark will actually cut off dialogue in order to speed up the process of getting out this story so more people more quickly can hear the good news about Jesus. And surely enough, that's why Mark, one of the reasons why Mark is the first gospel written. It's the first one gets out. It's another phrase he doesn't include. Not that complicated. But Mark and Matthew together prove so helpful because the explicit manner in which Jesus in both pens post-divorce Sorry, uh, divorce and remarriage, adultery on the divorcer. Mark says, again, let's read this. The man who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against his wife. The woman who divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. We see that in verses 11 and 12, right? It's the person who initiates the divorce who is to blame and is under sin, is displeasing God by divorcing and getting remarried. This is important because in cases in which one Christian partner does wish to carry her on, but the other demands a divorce for reasons other than sexual immorality or infidelity, they're under sin. They are sinning. Now, if you were to give someone divorce papers under the clear case of sexual infidelity, again, there is a way out for that. There is a way that is permitted now, again, I say permitted. It does not mean you have to serve someone divorce papers. You have to initiate that separation of the one flesh relationship. It can be reconciled. And God's heart, friends, is always for reconciliation. But there are cases in which that is just not possible. And there's allowance for that in Scripture. So Jesus, again, the one who demands divorce and later remarries, sins against his first spouse. Because that one flesh relationship, that spiritual relationship, initiated through the physical bond of sex, is still intact. Still intact. It is a special gift. 
It shows us how special the gift of sex really is and how God has made us really is. All of these things come together, friends. All right, so that's the first case in which divorce and remarriage is explicitly permitted. The second one is being the victim of a wrongful divorce. That's the second one. I'm going to immediately go to the third one. I'll show you why. third one is desertion. Usually, you would think of being served divorce papers, the victim of wrongful divorce, in a case where you know, sexual infidelity has not taken place, and desertion being the same thing. But there are cases when spouses physically desert and yet don't get divorced for years. And this actually happens a lot in Cayman. I've encountered a number of cases where people will just desert and flee and leave the person behind still married. What I'm saying is I think there's allowances here in the gospel where it's okay in those cases after years in which someone has, has deserted you to yourself initiate the divorce and you're not under sin. Okay? So these can be the same, but they can also be different. You see that? Now, let's get to desertion. That might help clear it up even more. The Apostle Paul talks to the church of Corinth about this particular issue. Physical desertion. 1 Corinthians 7, 10-16. Let's read this together. It'll be up on the screen. Paul says to this church, to the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. He's actually referring back here to Mark chapter 10. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. You see that there's always the possibility for reconciliation. That's God's heart. And the husband, likewise, should not divorce his wife. Now that's one scenario. But then he says, to the rest I say, I not the Lord... That doesn't mean he's saying, I'm giving my opinion. He's saying the Lord Jesus actually spoke the other words, and I'm just repeating them, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now I am giving these words as a command. That if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever, and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever, he's not a Christian, doesn't trust Jesus, and he consents to live with With her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. That doesn't mean they're made a Christian. It means that there's this environment now. There's this holy environment. Almost a holiness of being a Christian rubs up on the spouse and gets on the spouse and affects the spouse. Okay, let me continue. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are, also, they are also holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. Let it be so. In other words, let them go. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife. In other words, don't get divorces because they're not a Christian. You might be the reason they come to know Christ. See that? Okay, so immediately we learn a few things. I just want to cover them in summary to make sure we don't miss it. Number one, a spouse's unbelief and thus their radically different worldview. 
They're a radically different take on the entire world and eternity, how they approach everyday situations, is not a valid reason to divorce. Hear that again. Spouse's unbelief and the radically different worldview that accompanies that unbelief is not a valid reason to get a divorce. In fact, Paul is saying, second thing here, marriage is often the means through which a spouse is saved. As an unbelieving spouse dishes out tastes of gospel reenactment like we talked about last week, that environment makes fertile faith possibilities. That environment of love, undeserving love, makes possible, wow, why are they loving me like this? Those questions that actually happen in real life. Why are my children changing, but I'm not changing? All right, third thing we see here is that if an unbeliever is determined to leave, let him or her do so. If they are determined, that, that does not mean now, I want you to hear this, don't try to reconcile. Oh, friends, make every effort. If you're in this kind of relationship, to rec- God's heart is always to reconcile. But after trying, after making every effort, and I would encourage you, grab a friend who knows your marriage well. Probably grab a pastor as well. We'll talk more about that later. Ask them, have I made every effort here to reconcile? Because I'm so immersed in this relationship, I can't see it clearly. Have I made every effort? And if you have, and they're still determined, no, I want to walk away. There's allowance here in Scripture, in God's Word, to walk away. And after this, the believing man or woman is no longer bound, as Paul says here. In other words, they're free to remarry. Now, so we see these three very specific cases, sexual infidelity, desertion, and being subject to a wrongful divorce. All right, those three. That still leaves us with a host of scenarios yet unanswered, right? We still have, what about marriages where uh, there's desertion, but that also includes maybe desertion by addiction or financial shutout or, or destitution where there's virtual desertion like I mentioned earlier. What about scenarios where the adultery has been repeated and ongoing? Is there even a question that I shouldn't just walk away from this marriage? What about scenarios where there's physical or sexual spousal abuse? What about also emotional abuse or verbal abuse? That's also one, right? Let me just say real quick on that one. I believe verbal and emotional abuse is very real, friends. Very real and extremely harmful. But I also want to say this, particularly talking to a number of counselors on this issue, and I've seen this myself, there are many cases where the spouse is simply acting like an unbeliever. And we take that as emotional abuse. In other words, I've heard situations where people say, yeah, but my, my spouse does, never considers my needs. They're always selfish in their actions. They're even manipulative when we make decisions. And I have to honestly say, yeah, unbelievers do do that. that that's being an unbeliever. And it's incredibly difficult to deal with. Don't hear me wrong. We have the gospel to draw from. But we have to make that distinction and ask for help in making that distinction. Is my spouse really just acting like an unbeliever? Are they abusing me? And again, that's where we need pastoral help and friend help for that scenario. Of course, also, this is a scenario in which it doesn't mean we should necessarily seek divorce in any of the three reasons, the valid reasons I've given and the cases I've given. Again, it's permissible, but not necessarily wise and honoring to God to do that. 
So what's a helpful way forward? Here's the second point. All right, I want to return actually to Mark 10 and also Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7 where the context of each of these passages can, I believe, give us a big picture approach to help you or someone you love better discern what to do in a suffering marriage. And this is incredibly important, I think. And here it's this. To live the kingdom difference in a suffering marriage. Live the kingdom difference in a suffering marriage. I'll explain what I mean. Mark chapter 10. The passage we initially read here. Why is it that when the Pharisees ask about divorce, Jesus hands out to them only marriage? For the disciples, he's willing to indulge divorce talk. Why is that? I'll tell you very simply, I'm going to try to back up what I'm going to say here. The Pharisees are like the spouse who is taxed and tired of married life feeling unhappy and unfulfilled in their marriage relationship. So they want to ask and they want to test Jesus about a way out. And I showed this to you at length last week. You can listen to the podcast and I encourage you to do so. I don't want to linger long on this point. But that was the heart position of the Pharisees. I'm tired. I'm taxed. What's my best way out of this? How can I really consider a big change here? They're like that kind of spouse. And Jesus is saying to them, you need to hear again, not about divorce, but about God's grand purpose for marriage. Gospel reenactment. Whereas to the disciples, and I think also to the Corinthian Christians, they're like the spouses who wish above all to please their highest spouse, King Jesus, the bridegroom. They want to please Him to the point where they're they're actually, you'll see, very fearful of doing anything otherwise, even in marriage. They're even fearful of having sex. They're like, we just want to please you, King Jesus. And to such people who had that kind of different attitude and different love and different loyalty to King Jesus, Jesus and Paul are willing to say, because you are different in your kingdom, love, loyalty, and faithfulness, we can talk divorce. We can discuss divorce. Do you see the difference there? This is not a hard and fast rule. But it seems to me like Paul and Jesus are willing to have that discussion when your heart attitude is, Jesus, I just want to please you, not please myself. Where am I pulling this out? Is there a particular place, Ryan, anatomically or otherwise, you're pulling this out of this morning? Yes, it's the Bible. How many times have I encouraged you guys when reading the Bible... Not just to read a verse, but to read up and to read down. When you're listening to teaching, whether it's on TV or on the radio or otherwise, don't just take one verse that someone says to you and say, oh, I'm just going to believe this. This is a new way of approaching God. Read up, read down. Read the context. There's a reason people write a whole letter, not just one verse. This certainly applies here. Read down in Matthew chapter 9. All right, Matthew chapter 19, verses 9 through 12. Let's read the whole context here. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, that person commits adultery. The disciples said to him, wait a minute, Jesus. Here's where they're they're so concerned with the kingdom and living for King Jesus. They just want to honor and be different and please him. 
if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. We just will not get married because we want to be close to you. We don't want to sin against you. We don't want to displease you. You see that? But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Does everyone know what a eunuch is? Let's just say they're not going to have sex. All right, let's just say that. And there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this calling receive it. Now, we'll get back to this eunuch stuff and this calling to not live a life not having sex in a minute. But I want you to notice again the disciples' attitude. Far be it from us to sin against the king. Let's just not get married. And Jesus says that's the extreme view. Some are so gifted and enabled for that kind of calling that that's an extreme view. But hey, man, I'm proud. I'm proud that you would go there. And I know that's your heart. You just want to please me. And if that's your concern, then I'm willing to talk about divorce. Now, same thing in 1 Corinthians 7. This is very interesting. If you read up in 1 Corinthians 7, the one we read before, 1 Corinthians 7.1, Paul actually begins this section quoting a letter that the Corinthians wrote to him. All right, so they send him a letter. Paul, here's a big statement we want to make. What do you think about it? And Paul quotes it here in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. They say to Paul, hey, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. The Corinthians' attitude is this. We're so concerned about purity, so concerned about purity, we're going to go to the extreme of our thinking, which is not, not even husbands and wives should have sexual contact. All right? So yeah, chastity belts forever. In fact, they're even contemplating, which is why Jesus gets into divorce, Perhaps the married among us should even get divorced just to be safe. I mean, how, how like radically 360 different is that than our lifestyle today? We're so concerned about purity, we're going to get divorced. Oh, come on, Who's, who really thinks that way? Paul says, 1 Corinthians 7, 7-9, Hey, look, I wish that all were as I myself am. Paul was unmarried, stayed that way the rest of his life, didn't have sex. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to be uh, married than to be aflame with passion. I mentioned that was like one of my verses last week. I got married partially for a 1 Corinthians 7-9 reason. All right? Let's be very honest. Now, some are gifted. But Paul first makes the point, I want to get to that too, but Paul first makes the point, hey guys, I'm proud of the attitude that you want to remain pure for Jesus. Because of that, we can talk about divorce. And he also goes on to say, but some, just so you mentioned it, are gifted for chastity for the rest of their life. They are gifted to remain single to use their gifts and talents, 100%, full force, not being distracted by a marital relationship for the kingdom. And I want to have a quick aside there, because between here and eunuch talk, both Jesus and Paul affirm that some will be gifted and enable for kingdom difference to go through life without getting hitched. And if you are here this morning and you are not married or you're pretty sure you won't get married, 
be encouraged that God has gifted you now and perhaps the rest of your days for some serious kingdom difference. You see that? The rest of us cannot do it, Paul is saying. We can't do it. We're not designed. We're not gifted to do it. And you are. I really think God is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, He's proud of you for that. He has gifted you for that. And that is something incredibly precious. There are even times in my sinful self sometimes where I think, hey man, I'm even jealous of that. What a difference you're making for the kingdom. If that's you, be encouraged. that You are gifted uniquely for this in a way that the rest of us are not. But back to the Corinthians here. Sorry, as a whole. Because they come at this whole thing from the perspective of let's remain pure for the king, Jesus said, I'm willing to talk to divorce. You see my point here? If you say you're coming from this point of view, man, I'm unhappy, I'm tired. When's it going to be my time in this relationship? I think Jesus would say to us, hey, friend, let's gaze again upon the purpose of marriage. Let's gaze again upon the purpose of marriage. You're not quite getting it. Gospel reenactment. I have loved you. I went to the cross for you. I've died for you. You're called to do likewise in marriage. But if you're coming from the view of aiming to be radically different because Jesus has been radically different towards you, so you make every attempt to stay in the relationship, I think Jesus seems to say, okay, then we can have the divorce discussion. Does that make sense? It's all about your heart. It's all about what's driving you. But here are some conclusions we can make then about marriages and divorce, or I'm going to make about marriages and divorce. Number one, the first question we should be asking is, does pleasing the king make the biggest difference to my approach? Remember when Jesus said right before Mark chapter 10, have salt in yourselves? That's part of the Mark chapter 10 context. Be salty. Be different. Remember, salt makes a difference. It gives you a flavor to your life. It preserves your life. Be different for the kingdom. It's not a coincidence that comes right before Jesus is talking about divorce. Not a coincidence at all. Does pleasing the king make the biggest difference to your approach? Because that was the difference of why Jesus was willing to entertain talk about divorce with the disciples, with the Corinthian Christians. If you start from the notion, ah, Jesus is gracious, God's gracious, he'll just forgive me. Yeah, I know he just, or here's a big one I hear a lot of times, but he just wants me to be happy. God definitely wants me to be happy, right? So I'm not happy in this relationship. Therefore, God wants me to get out. As if those are the only two options. Not happy in and happy out. Or you say, well, there's no way, you know, our kids can stay happy unless we divorce. Really? Let's ask the kids. Most psychologists I read, and I've experienced this myself, say divorce is emotionally more traumatizing than a spouse's death. So we have to get to the point where we're asking the question, to, am I, is my, do I wish to please King Jesus in my approach to a suffering marriage? Second question, the guiding principle when considering divorce should be this, which comes from Romans 12, 18. That is, as far as it depends on you, Live at peace with everyone. Now, you can't control your spouse in your marriage. 
You can't control what you, they do. You may want to live a salty life for Jesus, to be different in your marriage, to live out the gospel in your marriage, and they just don't. But as far as it depends on you, you can have peace with them. So if we give me some examples here, um, porneia, sexual infidelity, depends on you. Deserting your spouse depends on you. But so does an offer of peace when scorned. A willingness to get the log out of your own eye. A prayer that does soften otherwise impenetrable hearts. That depends on you. The express determination to your spouse. I'm going to go to every length possible to make this happen. You know, I know one spouse who's going through a suffering marriage that was willing to go on a trip with her husband around the world on a sailboat for a year. Even though she was scared of the ocean and wanted nothing to do with that. She did it. You know what ended up happening? Her husband became a Christian on that trip. And I'm not saying that's a guarantee for us. But how encouraging is that? Thirdly, here's a third conclusion. Explicitly biblical permission for divorce or remarriage includes sexual infidelity, desertion, and being the victim of a wrongful divorce. We covered that, right? Seek peace even still. Seek pastoral counsel even still. And notice I said pastoral counsel. Usually you know I'm going to say things like, go to your community group leader. Go to a trusted friend in the church. In this case, I really want to encourage you, go seek pastoral counsel from a pastor, elder in the church. This is why it's important to be part of a church, not just little Bible studies or little groups. You you need help discerning the Bible and some of the complicated. It's not easy going through this issue. Number four, when considering divorce for any other reason, first undergo self-examination to make sure your happiness and ease are not driving your desire for divorce. Then seek pastoral counsel with both humility and a determination to please God. Remember that neither Jesus nor Paul addressed divorce with those more concerned with self than the kingdom and pleasing King Jesus. Number five, If the unbelief and thus a radically different worldview of your spouse isn't reason enough for divorce, according to God, certainly other lesser reasons aren't reason enough for divorce. You hear that? Unbelief, radical difference in worldview aren't reason enough. Number six, if abused sexually or physically, call the police and worry about divorce later. And there's a reason... The Bible also says in Romans 13 that the government doesn't bear the sword for nothing. It's God's instrument for justice. Call the police. Worry about divorce later. Number seven, your chances of divorce lessen significantly when you are a participating member of a local church, which makes sense, right? When you're hearing preaching about the gospel, when you're singing the gospel, when you're reminding people about the gospel and one another and real relationships, when you're serving and teaching others about the gospel with children, it starts to sink in. You get it. You're strengthened. You're filled up by the love, power of the gospel so you can give out to your spouse even when it's a suffering marriage. Number eight, if you've wrongly divorced and neither you nor your former spouse is remarried, stay unmarried. And prayerfully consider reconciliation with your former spouse. I know this is a radical move. I'm going to say it again. If you've wrongly divorced 
and neither you nor your former spouse is remarried, stay unmarried and prayerfully consider reconciliation with your former spouse. What an amazing testimony that would be, by the way. You want to so please King Jesus that after years, you go back to your spouse and say, I was wrong. Or I feel like we were wrong. Number nine. This is the last one. Forgiveness and restoration with God are available for those who have wrongly divorced. If you, having listened to this, recognize I divorced wrongly, there is forgiveness in the cross, even if you are in the wrong. There is restoration with King Jesus, even if you are in the wrong. That's why he came. That's why he left his Father's side to hold fast to us, to be with us forever. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, not even a wrongful divorce. I want to encourage you with something, though. Admit you are in the wrong. Tell your former spouse. Tell a close friend. Maybe even consider telling the church. I want it so badly this morning. What if we had a testimony next time we give this sermon of someone who gets up and says, I divorced wrongly for the wrong reasons. And I know King Jesus forgives me, but you need to hear this. I can't tell you how many people need to hear this testimony as a warning for being so quick to press the eject button on their suffering marriage, and number two, as a reminder of God's grace for them, for the many who are still hurt and pained and feel like they're judged by God because of their divorce. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning recognizing it's a sensitive issue, it's a hard issue. I'm so proud, first of all, Lord, and I know you are as well. Those, there's, a couple, there's two or three people I know personally in here who have truly lived out the, as far as it depends on us, on me, have peace with my spouse. Who've attempted in every way to reconcile. And that is so awesome. And there's some here, Lord, who are still trying to do that in their marriage. Lord, we ask for your strength and your love and your gospel power to encourage Jesus, I pray that people who are tired and struggling in a suffering marriage, remember your words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Where you say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus, the yoke of a suffering marriage is made so much lighter when we remember our rebellion against you and that you still love us the hardship that we have called you, the grief we have caused you, and yet you still love us. And you prove that through the cross. The same cross that also heals and forgives those of us who have wrongfully divorced. Have they made that word be true and be heard and be realized by those who are in that state as well. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.